HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi, this is Greg Bresnitz, one half the host of Snacky Tunes. We have had the honor of being nominated by Taste Awards for Best Radio Show and Best Podcast. Please head to bit.do backslash stvote in order to vote for Snacky Tunes and other food favorites. Once again, that's bit.do backslash stvote. And a big congratulations to Heritage Radio Network for being nominated into the Hall of Fame. Thanks so much. We really appreciate it. Today's program was brought to you by Roth, Wisconsin, makers of the world's best cheese and pioneers in the U.S. artisan cheese movement. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. Hey, everyone. This is David Tatashore, lead engineer and studio manager of the Heritage Radio Network, and I'm reaching out to ask for your support during our end-of-year fund drive. A contribution in any amount supports our weekly programming and our mission to make the world a more equitable, sustainable, and delicious place. Plus, you'll receive exclusive member benefits like monthly playlists, discounted event tickets, party invitations, and more. So if you like good food and you love good food radio, throw a little dough our way. Make your gift at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Happy holidays from all of us here at Heritage Radio Network. We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. You niggas got me fucked up. Fucked up, fucked up, fucked up. <laughs> you niggas got it fucked up. Fucked up, fucked up. <laughs> you niggas got it fucked up. <laughs> Flop. Eyes on red, it don't matter though. Kitty cat a ball for the catapult. Had the fence, but never guard a hoe. Ain't a green still eating in your artichoke. Driving the whips that you ought to know. Lately, I've been feeling like I'm on the road. And the weedies, I'll be with me, they ain't on your bow. Put some pot that I got in and on your stove. And then they in your kitchen. Mom stayed ever kicking and I'm making a killing. Don't making a living. living. Turn keys on my city, so it's thanks that I'm giving. Don't get gas since I'm driven. driven. I can pass in the class, it's a task and decision. Bunch of niggas with me like a civil rights sit I'm great with advice, which is bad with decisions. Get it done, get it done, get it done, get it done. Gotta make my 
myself my own plate. There ain't a task I had that I ain't never complain. And I'm doing pretty good, so who am I to complain? That's why I'm saying get it done, get it done, get it done, get it done. Gotta make myself my own plate. There ain't a task I had that I ain't never complain. And I'm doing pretty good, so who am I to complain? That's why I'm saying get it done, 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 get it done. Get it done, 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 get it See, I don't know what my limit is. All I need is some dividends, folk. So my mind like a militant. I know the plug for the middleman. Got bad things and they know I ain't a middleman. They know I get it done and I get it in. Whoa. Get it done, get it done. Get it done, get it done. Get it done, get it done. Get it done. Get it done, get it done. Get it done, get it done. Get it done, get it done. Get it done. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Aaron Bresnitz. We are sitting in, we could say Santa Monica, right? Santa Monica. Santa, beautiful. Uh, West L.A. West L.A. Uh, at dusk with Chef Bruce Kalman. Uh, welcome to Snacky Tunes. How's it going, man? It's going well. So you are a fellow East Coaster. I am, yeah. Jersey. Jersey through and through. Are, are you a Devils fan? You know what? I was around. No, I'm a Rangers fan. I, okay. I, I was around when the Devils was being created, and I, I still remember there was an article in the the um, what was it called the Bergen the Bergen Record? Oh yeah, newspaper about naming the team. So people had to like send in submissions and everything. But I was already my dad. My dad's from the Bronx. Yeah, originally. So we would go into the city and go to Ranger games. Yeah, I think. Um... I'll forgive that. As after, <laughs> after that, uh, my my wife, who I love more than anything, is from Philadelphia, like myself, and is a reverse Devils fan, who I think is the only one <laughs> in existence. But that's fine. That's right, fine. Right, we're not right. here to talk about uh, hockey, but we're here to talk about uh, your long and uh, well traveled career as a chef. Um, you started uh, at the same place where I started my food journey, which was at a pizza place on the East Coast. Yep. Um, which I feel that, like, 
if you worked in food or food adjacent anything and you lived on the East Coast and at least the Northeast and you didn't spend any time in a pizza parlor, a proper pizza, you, yeah, you yeah. sort of messed up. So what was, yeah. what, what was your, your early experiences <laughs> like there? How'd you get started there? So I, it was when I was 13, back when you could work, you can get like a, oh yeah, you can get a work permit from the county. Mm-hmm. Um, to make crap wages and, you know, but you can only work a certain amount of hours, I think. And, uh, my dad's friend was opening up a pizzeria and my dad said, like, get your ass to work basically. And so I went, my brother and sister did too. Um, and I started working in the kitchen there and I had no previous experience, you know, I mean, cooking with my grandmother Sure. That's about it. At, and at what home. type of food would she make? Well, I grew up Jewish, and sure. so, like, chopped liver and uh, matzo ball soup mm. and pod roast and chicken fricassee and that matzo brai. That, like, Jersey, Philly, yeah. New York. Noodle kugel. Jewish cuisine, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I grew, we, we grew up on similar cuisine. Yeah. And so um, I started working in the kitchen and then got a couple of my friends hired, and, you know, so it, it ended up being a lot of fun, and... I love the camaraderie in sure. the kitchen, and I love the energy and the vibe and, like, going to work. And I still remember listening to, like, Howard Stern in the morning. Oh, yeah. Back when, you know, I still remember with the first time he said the word dick on the radio. It was hysterical. You're like, guys, did you hear Stern today? Did you hear what he just said? Did you hear what he said? So, we, you know, I mean, we got into a lot of trouble, you know, I was a kid, and we would we would have, like, you know, oil bottle fights in the kitchen sure. and stuff like that, because that's what you do. And what station would you work? What did you... Um, so there was uh, there was the back kitchen, which was, like, all the sandwiches, salads, um, all the prep, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then the front was the pizza, pizza area. And so I was in the back for one year. Um, and then, you know, you just learn... It's not really stations. You just sure. learn everything there. Um, and then you learn how to make the dough and learn how to do all that. And then the next step for me was I was 14 and I was making pizza, which was pretty That's cool. That's awesome. And so I was ambitious at a young age already yeah. with it. And Is it still around the place? And they just sold it. I mean, it was around for... Do you I want mean, to shout it out? This is Savino's Pizza. Okay. Yeah. They, um, they just sold it. And it opened, so when I was 13, so it was 32 years, so it was open. Wow. It's crazy, and they crushed it. I mean, this little place, there's just like a counter to stand at and eat, and everything else is delivery and pickup. Jersey Pizzerias. I mean, they crushed it. Is there anything that you learned then that you, either tips or tricks or a mentality that you still carry with you today as a chef? Most definitely. Uh, I mean, you know, definitely the pranks. (laughs) Oh, sure. Sure. But um, we, you know, the, the funny thing is, is that my new... Uh, restaurant in downtown LA, mm-hmm. the uh, Needing Company. A lot of that it pays homage to that. Mm. You know, I've got Big ZD, I've got spaghetti with meatballs and Sunday gravy. You know, the only difference is is I'm using freshly milled flour made with local grain and, sure. and great, you know, tomatoes, and as opposed to the, you know, they. I mean, they use pretty crappy ingredients. I, again, <laughs> New Jersey, <laughs> Jersey pizza. pizza place. Yeah, the crappier the ingredients, the better. I don't know a lot of those like slice joints that are just like we use the freshest local ingredients, <laughs> and we can still sell it for two bucks a slice. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so you're in Jersey, and by the time you're 14, are you sort of just like, this is what I'm doing? I'm a chef for life. Not necessarily. I, I mean, I enjoyed it. It was fun. I'm a musician too, and I started playing guitar when I was seven. Sure. And even at that time, like when I was 13, 14, we had a little band. Sure. Made a couple friends. 
bands. And you want to shout out the band? I don't even remember the name of the band, but um, and then I had another band after that called Phoenix. Yeah, and um, we uh, we did good. I mean, we you know I was trying to pursue that avenue because I really enjoyed it, and we we did like record showcases and awesome. We opened up for Meatloaf, which is like our big that's huge, our big claim to fame. Um, did you figure out what he wouldn't do for love? No. No. I tried. I tried to find out, but he wouldn't tell me. And um, my dad had was a musician, and he had a band when he was younger, and even got like a record deal, yeah. and then got screwed over. So he was very uh, hesitant about it, and he was always like, "Make sure you have a backup plan," you know, because nine times out of ten, the music's not going to work out for you. Right. And so, so going to the surefire business of owning or working in restaurants, yeah, right? Exactly. That guaranteed success. Yeah, and I mean, you can always, the great thing about working in restaurants is you can always find a job sure. pretty easily if you had to, wherever you go. Now, you know? yeah, and from New Jersey, you went, you, so the thing I like about your career is that you sort of hit all the major regions in mm-hmm. America. And so from Jersey, you went to Midwest, you went to Chicago. Went to Chicago. Which, Hands down, one of the best cities to eat in the world. Absolutely. Uh, what year was this? Chicago was like '91. Now, how it, it wasn't doing any of like the modern type of cuisine, or was it still like meat and potatoes, but fine dining. No, yeah, I mean it was meat, definitely meat and potatoes. When I first moved there, um, I was working. So in Jersey, I I worked at a couple other places, and then I worked for Marriott hotels mm-hmm. uh, for a couple years. And there, I met a guy. And in, in, he was like a catering manager uh, that I became friends with, and then he moved out to Chicago uh, to became it became like the catering director of the O'Hare Marriott. Yeah, and um, I got to a point I worked at like a little French bistro, and it just burned me out so poor, so badly. Why was that? I, it was rough. It was just it was a small restaurant. It was me and two two French guys, and the main owner and his wife lived upstairs, and she worked mm. the front, and they would fight all the time they, was, they were just miserable people and so just after a year it just wore me out and a place like that like I learned so much but you can only take so much you know where it's just like you and two other guys sure. doing everything what did you learn from there that you still take away and work with today you know I think I think it's everywhere I go it's like bits and pieces sure. it's, it's like you learn work ha- good work habits good work ethic sure you know you, you learn you, you take like little bits and pieces of everywhere you go to kind of sum up what you do mm-hmm. now. And and so it's hard for me to pinpoint, like, specific things that I learned at each job um, in, at that point anyway. Um, but I definitely learned, like, that was probably the first place where we really made, like, everything in-house that I right. worked at. Um, and that's where you start to see the difference of making everything in-house yeah. versus bringing stuff in from, you know, and, mm-hmm. and like, pre... And so is this where you start to build? You're like, if I start to, like start doing something on my own, like, I'm going to start making everything from scratch. Yeah, exactly. We had an herb garden outside. We'd run outside and cut herbs. It's in the front of the restaurant. And, you know, it was just a really cool experience. But, again, I mean, at that point, I was just like, I need to get out of the kitchen. And so I spent a year working as a server, mm. just kind of messing around. No, and this was still in Jersey. Oh, okay. Uh, with a friend of mine. And then um, after a year, I got bored. And so I had called my friend that moved to Chicago. And I said, hey, do you have a job? Sure. So I I was the assistant banquet chef at the Marriott at O'Hare, which was crazy. It was like $12 million a year in catering. And 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 did that teach you how to do big numbers? Big numbers. It taught me about accountability. It taught me about, um, you know, when I worked in a hotel like that, I would work everywhere. I'd work in every restaurant. I would want to, even on my own time, you know. The labor laws were very different back then. <laughs> um, and so I would, 
you know, if I was off, I would go work in the Polynesian restaurant with the Chinese guys. Right. And learn how to cook and walk, you know, and I, or I would go get up early in the morning and go work with the baker. And because I wanted to learn as much, I wanted to extrapolate everything I could out of every job I had. And I figure I'm in a hotel with five restaurants, banquets, and all these other departments. I should take advantage of that. Yeah. And then from Chicago, Santa Fe, right? Or- yeah, Chicago, Santa No, no. So Chicago, after Marriott, I, I was a sous chef at Spiaggia. Oh, okay. It was a four-star yeah. Italian restaurant. And Paul Bartolotto was the chef at the time. How and was that? It was incredible. It was my first my first introduction to, like, true like Tuscan cuisine and um, so very, a little bit more strict. step of Italian than yeah, the pizza place I was like different... this isn't Italian food you're like you know? you're like where's wait. the chicken parm yeah <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I worked there and actually Michael White from New York from Alta sure. Group was an extern huh. when I was working there as a Sioux and um, showed you how old I am yeah. and and so uh, I was working there and that was Levy Restaurants, and I did some other, they did stadiums, and so I helped them open stadiums, and then I went, they moved me to another restaurant to help, because it, it, they were, they needed some help in areas that I excelled, and and then at that point, I met David Burke, who mm-hmm. was just opening a restaurant in Chicago, and um, he offered me a position in New York at Park Avenue Cafe, so I couldn't say no. No. So I went, and I worked with him in New York for like a year, um, and... That place just like changed everything. It, it changed everything. It had burned you out at the same time. Yeah, it was it was rough. It was like shift pay, and you come in and there's like way too way more to do than you have time to do it. Sure. And so, but the the big thing that I learned there was to to push the envelope mm. and to not let. Um, you know, David would never say, "Oh no, we can't do this because people can't handle it, or because it's too hard." Or it, yeah. he would say, "Work harder, figure it out. We're sure. doing this." And so that's something that I still do yeah. with my staff. You know, I'm a bit more understanding. You know, but, right? But at the same time, I push the envelope. You know, I'll come back from the farmers market two hours before service and say, hey, I got this. We're making a dish. Let's go. Let's go. You know, and, and they go, yes, chef. Yeah, they didn't used to. They, they would they would say that to my face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, and to me, what, what that did was, you know, that made me better. Like, it taught me how to not only work with a huge sense of urgency, mm-hmm. but to put out incredible food at the same time and, and focus on quality. Because there, like, you put it in the window. If it's not perfect, you're making it again. Yeah, and Pl- plates thrown. Not at me. Not at you. <laughs> Never at me. Not at and you. And I think because I was a sous chef before I yeah. went there, and a manager, that that helped me succeed there because you know I I knew how to work with management. Sure, I mean that's a big part of some of the young guns coming up, where it's just like there's a reason success that's built in for the older guys because it's it's a full picture. Yeah, it's it's not just uh, you know it's like oh you did two years on the line and now you know how to like or work. you bought a pair of like global globe tweezers or something. Sure. You know. Um, all right. Well, we're gonna take a quick break. Cool. We're gonna come back and talk about your arrival in L.A. Pickles and your rock band uh, with Duff Goldman. Uh, we have a song from Taka Taka uh, here live on Snacky Tunes. <laughs> Thank you. 
Welcome back to Snacky Tunes here on Heritage Radio Network. We are with Chef Bruce Coleman, Troubadour. We could say Troubadour. Troubadour yeah. of Kitchens. Yeah, I would say so. Um, so, uh, 2011, you finally make your way across, all the way across the country. Yeah, by way of like Santa Fe, Scottsdale, Phoenix, Cleveland. How was how was cooking in the Southwest? Southwest was cool. Yeah, you know, working in. Um, Santa Fe was interesting. Yeah, it was really it was a culture shock for me going f- directly from working in Manhattan to Santa Fe. <laughs> was it just I don't want to say a lower bar, but just like a relax, relax more. It was kind of like people don't drive through a green light. You know, they just kind of sit there and they decide to go when they want to go. Sure. Everybody, it's it's the land of manana. That's what they call sure. it. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, chef. Tomorrow though. Yeah. Tomorrow, yeah, chef. exactly. Yes. It was like I'd have cooks calling in. Uh, stoned, right? Because they were they were snowboarding all day and got really high and and didn't feel like you know weren't up to coming to work, right? And, and I like, was that guy that was like, get your ass to work, yeah, or you don't have a job, right, right, right. <laughs> and that didn't fare too well in Santa Fe. No, but so then you make it out to Santa Monica, <laughs> yep. And the first thing you did was uh, make pickles. No, no. So I, I came out here. I was working with a group in Scottsdale, sure, Phoenix, and. They opened a restaurant in Santa Monica and brought me out here, which gotcha. is how I got out here. What was the name of the restaurant? Uh, the Misfit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Misfit. And so, um, and that was really, I mean, I, you know, I had experienced, like, working with local farms a little sure. bit and going to farmer's markets, but this was, like, the farmer's market was a block away. Yeah, this, big, it's a whole, one, it's a know? whole different uh, I would game go, out I would here. roll carts down the alley, basically. Yeah. And it was just, like paradise i mean for me i was just so it was overwhelming almost Mm -hmm. you know and but i I, you know i think at that point in my career was like a tipping point for me sure where i just i couldn't work for i didn't want to work for other people anymore well yeah i mean you sort of put in the years and through all your experience you have this culmination of a very unique perspective and you Mm -hmm. start going like no i don't I, i don't agree with 20% 20% of what you... 80%, yeah, but 80, that other 20%, yeah. I don't, and that 20% is killing me. Yeah, and I learned a lot. It was yeah. great, you know, but, you know, I, I had to go out on my own. And, sure. Um, so I did some consulting in the meantime, trying to figure out things, and um, and then I started my pickle company, and that uh, took off, like, gangbusters, I think, because I already had a little, a little bit of street cred in, sure. in L.A. as a chef, and so... And then, plus, I just promoted the hell out of it, and... Um, How did that get started? Um, I just I was at a restaurant and I had a pickle program going on there, a pretty intense one. And my sous chef at the time was like, "Hey, you know, you should have your own pickle company. These are awesome." Yeah. And so I started my own pickle business. That's awesome, <laughs> awesome. Um, and so I, I I just I got in business with some some people that were doing some not so good things. Sure. And so um, things didn't work out. I backed out. Uh, and then right at that time, I uh, got a call about the about doing Union. Yeah, so you open up a restaurant in Pasadena, which is not, you know, it's a great great part of L.A., but not what one thinks of when they think of... Great food. Great food. Mm-hmm. So what drew you to Pasadena, and this was uh, Union, correct? Union, yep. Yeah. Um, so I actually got a call to consult on a restaurant project. Okay. Um, and I went, and I'm like, I don't know about Pasadena. Geez, that's far. It feels far, you know, and I'd been yeah. there before. It's beautiful. But, um, so I went and checked it out, fell in love with the space, um, and basically made a deal, you know, and said, I want ownership. 
I don't want you to tell me what to do. We're going to do my concept. Sure. And they said, okay. And now we have union. <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, it's pretty much, that's the way it went. And so, Pasad- I always tell people when they say, why did you choose Pasadena? I say, it chose me. Sure. You know. Sure. And so, for people who haven't been to, to union, what's the concept? And, and what did you pull from past experiences to open up your first restaurant? So, so union um, definitely embodies um, uh, our you know, sustainability and working with local ingredients and handcrafted food. I mean, we make everything, just about everything in-house. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't bake our own bread, but we have somebody bake a recipe for us. Sure. Because we don't have the facility. And it, so it's intimate. It was, it's kind of like a neighborhood spot, 50, 55 seats. Yeah. And we pack it every single night. That's awesome. And still, I mean, we're going on, March will be three years, and we're still cranking. We're actually getting busier. I mean, that's awesome. Though. But, you know, that's that's the success that you need these days. It's not a flash in the pan. It's you got to be good food and have that sort yeah. of... I, I know this might sound, but like you want to open up a really incredible neighborhood spot because exactly. those, those no, are the people exactly. going to come it's back. Sustains. It's I mean, those are the places that are there for a long time. Yeah, and and so you, um, you know, we opened it and and it just it took off and and it hasn't stopped, you know. But um, we uh, the the idea was to serve just solid, great food, you know. And the the cool thing is, is it was kind of unassuming. We don't have a sign. Sure. Because we couldn't afford one. Love that. Um, <laughs> and now we don't. We didn't need one now, so we didn't get one. No. But it's it's you know a little spot. It's not like really flashy or anything. And you walk in, and we just punch you in the face with great food and great, amazing hospitality, incredible wine. We have amazing sommelier George Pizzeranis mm. from uh, who's at Spago for a long time, and he makes his own that, wine. That little spot. Yeah, a little restaurant. Um, and so, and so, what's the signature dish over at Union? What could people expect? Uh, our porchetta, for yeah. sure. And then we uh, like two of our pastas um, are spaghetti alla cutata with sammers on a tomato, garlic chili, mm. basil. Uh, simple, you know, it's like a spaghetti, spicy tomato sauce, but we hand make the Katara pasta. Um, and then we have a squid ink bambalotti with Maine lobster, braised fennel, truffle butter, and Meyer lemon. And so those are two dishes that are just like... Just awesome. Yeah, and, and it, it people, it, it, those are dishes I could never change. And then we have um, inc- the, probably the best polenta mm. I've ever had because it's milled at uh, and Toll, which is a mile from Union. Oh, yeah. She mills all our flour. She mills yeah. our polenta. I get freshly milled polenta every week, and it goes right from her mill to my freezer. Man. And it, you just, it, it, you can't compare it to n- anything. No. And again, I think it goes back to when you talk about when you started seeing stuff that was made from scratch and mm-hmm. having the herb garden. You go like, once you go to that that I don't want to say extreme, but that level of freshness and quality, you can't go back. Yeah, and and the thing that I found, where I think a lot of people get it wrong, is they're so focused on technique and flash and all these cool cool things, but they don't focus on finding the best possible ingredient yep. all the time. And even because something's in season doesn't mean it's the best. Hmm. You know, where if you go to the market, you have to taste things because yeah. sometimes. You know, last year we had a shitty tomato season, so I didn't run tomatoes. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to do it just because somebody says I have to have a caprese salad. Right, right, right. I don't give a crap what people tell me about that, you know. Yeah. I don't don't need to have a chicken. I don't need to have a steak. I I need to have great food. Yeah. In my opinion. I agree. And so from Pasadena, you go downtown to Grand Central Market Mm -hmm. uh, to open up Need. Um, How did that come about, and uh, how does it feel to be 
part of one of the most well-known food communities in LA. So they they had approached us about doing a project there, and you know they were very strategic about the way they put their place together. You know they wanted a pasta place in there, and right at the same time. We were just busting out of the seams at Union. Yeah, space. I mean, it's such a small. Our kitchen's three hundred square feet. Nothing. The whole place. The whole place all in is like fourteen hundred square feet. So we were setting up folding tables in the dining room during the day to make pasta, and it's such an uncontrolled environment. I was just like, I can't do this. Yeah. And you know, we managed to keep the pasta consistent, but mm-hmm. um, so I decided to do this pasta bar and then have. A facility which we have a pasta lab where we make all the pasta there. Uh, can you so, please explain the the phrase the pasta, pasta lab? lab. It, yeah. It's it, it's an Italian you know the laboratorio which is the room that they make pasta in. Because sure. It's it's you make it a kind of a sort of controlled environment. Yeah. Humidity because all those humidity and temperature affect the pasta. Yeah. So um, we we figured you know we can do the same all in one there. <laughs> and so how have you like being down at Grand Central Market? Have you seen just a whole different uh, type of customer, type of Definitely. recognition because it's just you're so... I remember when it opened, I was like, oh, per- this is such a perfect fit, mm-hmm. like having a pasta, pl- a fresh pasta place yeah. at the market. You know, it, it's cool. It's like you, as opposed to a restaurant where, you know, you only expose yourself to the people that come to the restaurant, mm-hmm. there you're exposing to everybody that walks through Grand sure. Central Market, whether they come to get a coffee. And, and you have a good location, because you're, like, really right, you're like right at the entrance. Like, you walk in, and you're yeah. like, oh, there it is. And I have a very shiny space. <laughs> no, and it's great because your spot is a restaurant, but also taps into the market part mm-hmm. of it as well. Like some of the restaurants, and that's not on them. Right. But, like, you can definitely go there and be like, I'm going to go get... I'm not, I don't even have to shopping. eat there. Yeah, you know, I'll go shopping cool. there. Like, yeah, come, they'll come to us and get pasta and sauce, and then they'll go to Belcampo and get meat, and they'll go to the cheese place and get cheese. Ooh. It's really cool how it's all kind of turning into that. And, and I've definitely seen a change in the clientele. Yeah, big time. I mean, you know, and the the markets have been doing a great job with you know keeping the riffraff out of there and and just keeping it clean. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which the, is which is cool because the culinary riffraff. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, um, does that, then now they make pasta, does it, like, now become, like, sell pasta, sell pickles, sell, like, own food? Like, does it go to, like, just, like, the brand level next for the, the food yeah, that you're exactly. making? Yeah, exactly. I mean, in the in that little market, we have a retail space that in there where we sell all the pastas, our sauces, our pickles. We make our own butter. We make ricotta cheese, mozzarella. Um, we may, We sell, like, you can get a take-home baked ziti mm. that's not cooked and you just throw it in the oven. Same thing like a mac and cheese or uh, pan and four meatballs and sauce, yeah. you know? Things like that. And we're trying to really hit that that market, that, that, that part of the, seg- you know, the market segment. That's awesome. Now, I know at the beginning you said that music's always been a part of your life and you're in a band and now you're in a band with another well-known chef, mm-hmm. Duff, uh, called Foie Grock. Yep. Which is, <laughs> as a man who loves puns, uh, I love so much. Um, and what is playing in a band and do that offer? Well, like, what itch does that, s- or you know, scratch? It, you know, it's, or scratch itch that itch uh, <laughs> that isn't like when you're in a, in a kitchen. You know, it, it's it's cool because it's like I, I have, you know, you get outside of work and you know you have your personal life sure. and you know spend time with my wife and spend time with my dogs and go out to eat or do this and that, go to movies. But also, you know, being able to have this other creative outlet which yeah. has been a huge part of my life growing up. Um, you know, I've always been envious 
watching. You know, I miss getting on stage and playing oh, yeah. in front of people. And so getting in this band now where I am in a band with the, guy, the guys that are all around, we're all around the same age, and we yeah. all have the, scratched the same itch, basically. Yeah. You know, where, so it's incredible. It's fun. And even if we just rehearse and don't even play out, it's just such a blast. Yeah. It's such a good time, and, you know, you kind of forget about everything else for three hours and, and just, you know, throw down some tunes, and it's it's so much fun. And, and we're playing, we're just doing a lot of covers because it's fun. It's awesome. Yeah. It's nice to do something that's just fun, especially when you've done something that is also very successful. It's like, I, yeah. pr- I proved myself here. This one is just, <laughs> like, for fun. Right. Um, so if people wanted to find out where to eat or how to get any of your products, is there a dedicated website yeah i mean i have my own website brucecalman.com yeah and then we have all of our websites are linked so sure. we've got union pasadena we've got need pasta bar um and we're actually building another website for our company because we're we're kind of built this company now around everything which is yeah. like a management company that's awesome essentially so we're we're kind of working on that so how's your instagram game you have on the gram my instagram game is pretty strong yeah i'm on there every day what, uh, what's the handle uh, Chef B. Kalman, K-A-L-M-A-N. Awesome. That's my Twitter and, and Instagram. Awesome. Well, Chef, thank you so much. I, I think your dad would feel that you have a very, very good plan A, B, C, D, and, <laughs> and so on. Sure. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you for making fresh pasta as well, because my wife and I absolutely love it. Uh, we have a song from another chef who, who shreds as well, uh, Mark Vetri here. Mark. Oh, yeah. Another, another pasta guy, another great yeah. musician. Uh, here we have him playing live here on Snacky Tune on Heritage Radio Network.
Have you tasted the world's best cheese? Grand Cru Sourchois is the 2016 World Cheese Champion. Our partners at Roth, Wisconsin make this gorgeous alpine-style cheese in the rolling hills of Greene County, Wisconsin. Grand Cru Sourchois is produced by hand in Swiss copper vats and finished by aging on spruce planks. The quality milk and careful craftsmanship bring out the award-winning light floral notes, nutty undertones, a hint of fruitiness, and a mellow finish. Perfect with Riesling and Muscat, Grand Cru Sourchois is a guaranteed hit for any occasion. Check out their other offerings at RothCheese.com. You'll discover Buttermilk Blue and their newest release, Prairie Sunset, the golden-hued love child of Mimolette and Gouda. You'll also find recipes like the Raclette Reuben and Tomato Tartlets. Everything you need to know about the world's best cheese is at RothCheese.com. We might have mentioned this before, but we are nominated for two taste awards. Please go to bit.do backslash stvote to vote for us for best radio show and best podcast. We'd really appreciate it. We have CJ Fly live in studio. CJ, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. What's up, bro? Thanks for being here. Uh, you were born to a Jamaican and Barbadian parents. Yes, sir. How did that influence you growing up, and what did you pull from each of their cultures that you can determine? Uh... Well, it basically made me into like this almost, I don't want to call myself superhuman, but like, you know. You, you, you can you, call yourself that. Yeah, yeah, all right, cool. Superhuman, you know. It makes me like, my parents are like two cool West Indian parents, you know. So to take both like uh, both of their like cultures and, and, and their swags to make me is like an amazing thing, you know. I like to look at my parents and pick out their best traits. And when I see like it's something poor inside of me, I was like, well, I'm not like that side of that. (laughs) Yeah. So what are some of the more defining qualities that you took from your mom and from your dad's side that influenced your your work and kind of your drive? Uh, Well, growing up, my dad only played reggae. You feel me? Like people like are shocked to know that I wasn't raised on like Wu-Tang and Tribe, you know? I found out about a lot of that stuff from my own. My mom's from being from Barbados. She's like raised on soca and calypso music. And that was her upbringing. So she like introduced me to that world too. I don't know if it's that that surprising. I think a lot of artists, you think because of the music that they make, that's what they grew up listening to. Mm-hmm. But I think that you'll find the ones that truly define themselves and have a certain something special. It's because they're specifically not raised on that music. For sure. And have those outside influences and then find their own thing. But it's always run through the filter of like, I want to go back to what I know from growing up. For sure. I'm basically like, I'm a Brooklynite. So I'm a product of my environment. You know, Brooklyn is like the mecca of hip hop. You know, New York is one of the places that people recognize lyricists for, like, you know, so it's like me being from here and then having the mixture of that is a mixture of those both flavors, you know. People don't even know hip-hop was started, like, from, like, I think, in my opinion, Jamaicans, you know, DJ Cool Herc, mm-hmm. a Jamaican guy who came to New York and made his own wave, you know. So who from your dad's side, we'll start there first, uh, did he really play for you growing up and, and has stuck with you through all the years? Um, one of my favorite artists of all time is Buja Bonton. Free him, he's in jail right now. Barris uh, Hammond. Sizzler, Capleton, like a lot of the more uh, old school reggae stuff, not like newer stuff. He did play the newer stuff like Vibes Cartel, Bonte Killer, and all those guys, but like 
that was the main like thing like right there like his generation of reggae you know bob marley those things you know mm -hmm. and from your mom's side who did she listen to my mom was weird she so she listened to her soca and calypso music and then she had a mixture of like r&b not rap so she had like uh some allison is it allison hines allison hines like Rupee and a couple other artists and stuff like that. And then my mom would like listen to like Jaheim <laughs> and Jagged Edge and like all of those things mixed with that, you know what I'm saying? So. And did they incur, or who got control of the stereo? Who well, my parents were never together. Oh, okay. So it was two separate oh, okay. type of experiences, you know? A different vibe. Like even my grandmother's house, like her food would be like the whole Bajan side of it and my dad's side would be like curry, oxtails, all that type of stuff, you know? Do you have a preference now, or is there one, do you have one specific, is there like a favorite dish from one side and a favorite dish from another side? Yeah, for sure. Uh, my mom, she loves this dish called cuckoo. It's like cornmeal mixed with like uh, some vegetables and some other things, and then they cook it with like sides, like flying fish, and it's cool. I like that a lot. What's flying fish? A fish that literally flies oh, out it, the water. Oh, like, it's not like a clever name, it's literally just no, a flying fish. No, it literally fish. flies. Okay. You go to Barbados, you'll see that motherfucker jump out the water, like, <laughs> keep jumping, so. Uh, Flying Fish is one of my favorites from Barbados. Uh, they have fish cakes, too. I have, like, three favorite Barbados dishes, like Flying Fish, fish cakes, and, like, maybe the cuckoo, you know? Can you taste the difference because the fish is aerated? <laughs> it's not actually flying, <laughs> flying. Like, it just jumps out of the water for a little bit, like, on some sandwich. You know but over its lifetime, it's still out of the water more than most fish. Possibly, yeah. That's why it's a flying fish. Yeah. You know, flop. <laughs> and then from your dad's side, what dishes? Uh, I love stew peas, which is oxtail, mm -hmm. and uh, with red peas in it. I love jerk chicken. Anything jerk, I love. I love spicy foods, you know? Um, and what else? Ake and saltfish, which is the national dish from Jamaica. And what know? is that? Uh, it's basically like this plant. It's like yellow, and it has like black seeds in it. That's the ackee. Saltfish is basically codfish. I don't know if you ever ever had that. Mm -hmm. They basically mix those two together and put like some pepper in it, and it becomes this like beige and yellow mixture with peppers and it's just beautiful man it's like art and have they taught you any of the dishes themselves do you cook uh a little bit they haven't taught me like the super nice things that i like yet you know because they obviously i think my dad especially wants to cook for me still like so he doesn't want me to like not need him anymore <laughs> i mean i feel like those dishes uh especially in national heritage dishes uh like tortilla from spain yeah they're so simple mm -hmm. but it takes 200 times for you to go from your first try which is fine yeah to okay, this has all the history, all the nuances, all the, you have to know that at the 33 minute, you got to do this one thing. For sure. I'm, like I suck cooking rice. Like, yeah. I just bought a rice maker the other day. Okay. So me making rice is not a successful thing right now, but like. I feel like maybe with the parents, or my mom um, makes a lot of dishes, but what she makes the best is jam. And it's. Jam jam? Jam jam. What? From jam. And, it, and it's, it's simple. It's just sugar, lemon, and the fruit itself. So it's really tight. simple, but the most easy thing to mess up because it's just so simple mm. so it takes you know sitting with her all the hours to, to cook it just yeah. to make sure it's like okay you got to look for this you got to do this stuff so maybe you can go back to your dad and be like look i you can still cook for me it's gonna yeah. take a lot of hours between now and then but for sure but don't wait till it's too late for me to, to learn the subtlety. for sure it's like i definitely want to learn how to cook all of these jamaican dishes because i plan to move to the west coast one day my mm -hmm. dad doesn't live over there, so right. it's like I need to be able to su survive somehow. Well, now you just screwed up because you told him this is—he's your anchor food now. He's <laughs> like, he's like, I can't—you can't move to the West Coast until Fact. I teach you. No, literally, uh, until I find like actual restaurants I like out there too. You know, Sweet Chick's about to go out there, so I'll be fine. Yeah, and then from Brooklyn itself, what are the dishes that you had growing up that defined your childhood that are not from the parents' side? 
uh, jerk chicken patties from Golden Crust. Mm. Jerk chicken from like the jerk spot on No Screen in Church Avenue. Uh, roti, you know about roti? Mm-hmm. Roti. Uh, what else? Um, uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. And then, uh, what's the spice level that you can hit? And what are the spice levels of the different cuisines? Are mom and dad the same, or is it a varying degree? Well, let's just fact check. My mom doesn't cook okay. herself. Mom doesn't cook. Grandma, my auntie. Oh, your auntie cooks. Yeah. Okay. So, but um, we they have their own, like, hot sauce, too, which is, like, some weird yellow hot sauce with, like, peppers in it. Mm-hmm. That's pretty hot. And then there's the Jamaican hot sauce, like, Grace's hot sauce, yeah. which is pretty hot, but it's, like, more, like, on the acidic side and mm-hmm. spicy. And then, um, so, I think... They both like have like their own spice levels, but for me, I, I can't go to the super painful like lip and tongue infuriating pain, right? Uh, uh, spices, you know. So I think it's ma- mainly like jerk, and from there back, you know. Right. So you can still have the spice, but also taste the food underneath. Yeah. I've never been able to go to that insane part because then you're just all you're just eating something covered in. It's too some, much. It's too much. It's too intense. Food shouldn't be intense. It should be like more of a comfortable thing. Yeah. Should be like very happy to eat food. And you can just ease into the spice levels. You get think of something to work towards, not just it's not a game. Yeah, for sure. Can we hear a song? Uh, yeah, I got you. What are you gonna play first? Uh, let's do Now You Know, my single that's out right now. Okay. Yeah. From from the new record. Yeah, Flytrap. Okay, great. December 9th. All right, live on Snacky Tunes. Fly. Flytrap coming soon, December 9th. Hope you had it saying you know. 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 Hope you had it saying you. Now you know you fucked up. Cause a nigga lucked up. Now you really look dumb, tell me how that shit go, tell me how that shit go Now you know you fucked up, cause a nigga looked up Now you really look dumb, tell me how that shit go, tell me how that shit go Seen too many niggas switch sides, getting tired of the dick riding you. Lukewarm, I'm John Blaze, my shit's fire. Either in the stool, I'm getting high. I don't make a lot, but I'm getting by. I know I said, but a nigga try. I could roll his weed in a nigga time. Tell me, break it down, smell it with a pine. Only 22, so I'm in my prime. Made it here without committing crowns. Making paper off some different lines. Took my life and put it in these rounds. Transformation like a Megatron. Give my music everything I got. And I don't think that I ever stop. A leader, you don't catch me with a foe. Some people say that I'm a witty foe. Why the hell a nigga quitting folk? Gotta get a mention to put in my folk. I just gotta make a bigger quote I just gotta make a bigger quote Now you know you fucked up <laughs> Cause a nigga looked up <laughs> Now you really look dumb Tell me how that shit go Tell me how that shit go Now you know you fucked up Cause a nigga looked up Now you really look dumb Tell me how that shit go Tell me how that shit go 
Hope you hear this and you know. 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 Flatrack. You started writing poetry when you were in fourth grade. Does any of that still carry over? Uh, yeah, it does. Because when I learned to write poetry, I was learning to write cursive too, and I can remember that exact moment of my dad being like, "Your handwriting is deplorable," <laughs> you know. So I remember writing rhymes and shit like that, and he'll be like, "Yo, I can't even read this chicken scratch." But it, in my mind, it was always like, "I can read it," you know. Right. And that's all that mattered to me—me me being able to read my own words. So from there on, like, I started writing poetry, and 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 that developed and turned into rap music. Have you gone back and looked at the early works? I don't even know where it is. I'm sure my dad has, like, so many backpacks in his closet. But, like, we had a flood once, and it messed up, like, a lot of my old school books and mm. stuff. So a lot of my old archive stuff got damaged through, like, damages, like, home I, damage. I mean, it's like going back and reading, you probably thought it was so great then, and it might be pretty painful now to go <laughs> to go and do it. It's funny, man. I, I My cousin always says to me, like, yo, you remember your old raps? And I'm like, yeah, but I remember my cousin telling me, like, he didn't get them then, you know? So I'm sure there'll be some type of, like, gem within that. Right. You're like, there's one line out of all the notebooks Facts. that will just carry for, like, 20 years. Of course, yeah. Because even people come up to me now and say, like, my verse on, like, Hard Knock with Joey is one of my best. And that was such a young me that didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. So it's crazy to me that they think, like, the youth, uh, youthful version of me was, like, more like, you know? Some people f- talk about the creative process as just coming from nowhere. Like, you don't have a choice. Exactly. It, Natural. The universe wanted it to happen. So did did anyone around you, I mean, obviously you grew up in Brooklyn, so you were surrounded by hip-hop, but poetry is a distinct difference between rapping and, and writing lyrics. So mm-hmm. where do you think, or do you have any sense, and you can say just came, where the poetry started from before it evolved into writing lyrics? Uh, I think I've always been very expressive as far as, like, writing goes. I'm an only child. So, like, me being an only child influenced me to try to communicate through my music, you know? I didn't really grow up with anybody to communicate with. So my music is the tool I have and use to basically speak to the world, you know? So with that being said, um, yeah, through through me, like, trying to, like, get my message and get my story out there, basically, like, I feel like I, I took poetry and used it as a platform, you know? And, and uh, I think even through the reggae, the reggae, I, I heard the lyrics, and I, I knew that that was poetry in itself, you know? Like, Barris Hammond and Buju Bantan, they were, like, poets of their own culture, you know, speaking of their story and, and the story of their country. So I wanted to do the same, and I think it started from that timing, you know, just understanding words from my parents playing it, you know? And how did the evolution in your own mind go from writing poetry to writing lyrics? Or where did you begin to see the shift? This is a poem, but now this is definitely a lyric. I feel like before I was way more like writing poetry. I was writing poetry more on a emotional tip. So putting my emotions into the sheet of paper you know now it's more of a i find like a topic or a target audience i want to tap into and make a song for that specifically you know then it was just like me writing a poem for myself now i'm writing lyrics for the world and did those poet did the poetry and the lyrics get you into the performance arts high school uh no nah, actually 
went to school for uh, communica- communication arts. Oh, okay. Yeah, so everybody else was going there for, uh, like, acting and, like, uh, other programs and shit, but... I was literally there for like communication arts only. And what is communication arts? I couldn't tell you. Just a, a fancy <laughs> name for nothing. Nothing. But like, that's where you met your entire clique. Yeah, basically. We uh, went to high school together and we were all ciphering in the hallway together and shit. And obviously, like, when, when like, let's say 10 people are rapping, you know the three that are nice. You know what I'm saying? That was our energy. And we always like chill with each other and we had like a similar goal to be the best, you know? Like, I didn't learn about entendres and stuff like that until I met Steve and all the rest of the homies, you know? And were you still at a young enough age where you were allowed to be vulnerable and ask questions? Like, yeah. how did the education process happen? I mean, we're talking about high school, so you think 16, 17 is not that old. But mm-hmm. still, at that age, within any situation, you want to sometimes act as much. But did you have a certain persona in the hallways? And then you'd be like, okay, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. Behind closed doors? Or how did the formation take place? As far as the crew? Yeah. Uh, we were cutting class together. So after the cyphers and all that, we was like, okay, these are the guys, you know? You identify everybody as artists, you know? And then you see who you mesh with perfectly and who meshes with everybody else well, too. Because there were some people that could have been in the crew, but they didn't mesh well with everybody else. They had, like, personal whatever problems. You know what I'm saying? So we just clicked instantly. We all used to cut class together and create. We tried to record, like, in the auditorium. Like, we were just doing everything we shouldn't have been doing just to create. And now there's a program at our school for making music, which is dope <laughs> because of us, you right. know? And that's dope that we have that program there, like, because we used to cut class just to do what we had to do, so... It started through that, and then we just started building, and years passed, and everything just blew off and took off. What was the first show together like? Uh, the first show together was crazy. I think the homies had another show that I wasn't at, and that solidified it, and then the next show was, like, crazy. Like, we went on a tour that summer. It was insane, man. Like, very, a lot of magic. Like, we just knew it was something special. It wasn't, like, a random feeling, you know? You don't need to give, like, the best story, because you can keep that thing, but what's, like, the second best story from that Second tour? best story from the tour? Damn. I mean, it was three, like, 17, 16, 18-year-old kids just traveling around America, just touring for the first time, seeing people, like, react great to us. So, like, there were so many things. We we shroom-tripped on that on that uh, tour. Like, that was a crazy timing, you know. It, it was dope to see the fans react to us the way they did for our first time, you know. So. And where did you get the name Progressive Era from, or how did that come about? Uh, naming, is, naming is difficult no matter what the artistic and For never, sure. So where did that come through? And does someone like claim to it, or is it a fuzzy, like, I think I said it, no, I think I said it. Nah, no. Steve definitely came up with it, and then he asked our homie Powers what he thought about it, and then we, Joey and myself came next after that, and then we solidified it, you know? So, like, it was more of a school thing. Like, we were in, in school learning history. So, like, it was something we learned about within the four years we were there, and it ended up popping out as the perfect name for us, you know? Did you feel that you had veto power by the time it got to you? Like, we, we want to go with this. We'll ask you, but we're really going to go with this. I was with it. I, I wasn't, like, super picky. I was just more... We, we all didn't have our our rap names now, too. Like, everybody changed their rap name a little bit, too. Like, Steez was J. Steez. Joey was J-O-V. I was like, before I met them, I was C.J. Fresh. So, like, we had to solidify ourselves, too, in addition to the group name. So, like, it was something we built on. Luckily, we knew about the, the whole time period, so it makes sense for us. You know what I'm saying? Definitely. Uh School and school. How did you go from fresh to fly? I mean, fresh is kind of cheesy, you know? <laughs> fly was like a term we were using, like, at the time. And, like, we went, people were saying, like, in, like, junior high school, I remember people being like, yo, you look fresh today. And I got to high school, started switching up my style, and people started calling me fly. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. Oh, CJ so the people, fly. <laughs> the people named it for you. Yeah, I mean, in my high school, I was known as the fly guy. So, like, it made sense and everything connected. I used to have dreams as a kid of me just leaping off my back and starting to fly and soar. And I was like, this is perfect for me, like. Even at my mom's house in Bed-Stuy, we had, like, a, a plumbing problem, and the, the the shower rod came off, and a swarm of flies comes out. And, like, I felt like Batman, bro. 
<laughs> for a swarm of fly comes out, I'm like, oh man, this is meant to be. So it could have been roaches. I could have been CJ Roach, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Can we hear another song? Yeah, of course. What are you going to play? Italian Friendship. This is from our first mixtape. Uh, okay, live on Snacky Tunes. Check. Yo, yo. Was one of the happiest fellas when I first met Bella. We started off as just friends and exchanged love letters, became best friends, and figured there was no one better. I told her we was gonna be homies forever. You're not the type that I would often meet. More from the magazine, not on the street. Feeling like the man where she would walk with me. Her mom is a lawyer, her daddy a cop. Got another chick on the side, but I ain't scared of her pops. She don't talk about her family a lot. When I'm with her, she love to stare at her watch. I connected the dots. Third eye squinting, cause I'm trying to see things through. Figured out what we gonna do. Kinda hungry, let's go eat some food. To Little Italy, her family spot. I'm trying to change my diet so I won't be having a lot. And know the headset when you go to sit facing the door. So you Gaze at the floor in case of breaking the wall. We walked in, they sat us down pronto. Had a short convo, and even I know not to hurt my Italiano. She told me, Get her a drink and be ready for this. I said, What? Her dad popped up and started asking for a wedding and said, Let me know when I got a reverend friend. Either you get her a ring or we in a ring. Her brother asked me if I wanted a slice. I told him one would be nice. I sat there hoping he ain't come with his knife. I'm in a love triangle. How did I get into this love triangle? Love Love triangles. <laughs> Fuck it, don't give a shit. I'm infamous for having shit. Flop. New record, Fly Trap. Yes, sir. Out December 9th. Yes, sir. It's Congrats. my mom's birthday. Oh, happy birthday, mom. That's the significance. People don't even know that. Well, now they do. Yeah. <laughs> happy birthday, mom. Congratulations. Thank you. Appreciate it. What was the process of putting the new record together? Uh, well, I haven't put out music for the last two to three years. So it was a lot of patience, a lot of anxiety. Uh, I put all my life experiences into it. Uh, not every single one, but like the ones that mattered for this specific project, you know. And I think people are going to like it, man. Like it was not a long process, but it, it definitely took some thinking, you know. Some people will write 50, 100 tracks and then they'll call it down. Uh, some people will just sit down and the record will just come out. Were you one or the other in the middle? Uh, definitely went through 50 to 100 tracks and then I, I refined it down to the specific sound of cohesiveness you know so I've definitely made those 50 to 100 tracks and now I have three albums in a stash okay so now I have some work to do but I definitely made this project like something that was very concentrated and the clarity is very key and the message is there you know and what would you say the message is from three years ago from your last your last record to what you have to say now like even at the record I just performed, uh, that song was more like a storytelling. Me trying to be on my uh, what's the movie called? The Bronx, a Bronx Tale mm -hmm. vibe, you know. Mm -hmm. Now more like my own life, my own movie, you know. That's what this project is like. I feel like the first mixtape I was sitting in a movie theater with a projection coming from my eye, basically to say like I'm in a theater and I'm about to watch something, or you're about to watch something. And now this is one of my first films, you know. So there's a difference where I was trying to emulate other films and shit like that, and now I'm trying to do my own like film direction, you know. And did you pull from your click to be able to get reference points or to get feedback, or was this just a solo endeavor? It was a solo endeavor, but I definitely played it for them for the last two years. Like, the project really changed uh, quicker than I thought it would. Like, I thought it was done last December, and then I came back to New York. Like, last summer, I was in Canada working on it, and then I thought I was done. Came back to New York December, I'm like, this is the project. 
and it wasn't actually done yet. In the last, like, January to, like, August, that's when the project really completed, and I recorded so many new records and shit, so it got finished this year, and, and, and it's a different vibe from what it was before, because I, I, I actually got to figure out what I wanted to do, and played it for the homies, seen their opinion, changed a few things, but I didn't ask what they thought I should do. I just did it, and then said, this is what it is, you know what I'm saying? And what was it that you thought was done and then it wasn't just down to the, the bone of it. What do you mean? Well, what was it that you thought it was done last December and then what did you go and back and change in the, the oh. following eight months? I mean, I, I didn't feel like it was as perfectly cohesive as it is right now. I think right now, like, the clarity is key. You know, you hear every single thing and word that I'm saying and, and know what I'm talking about and it all ties into each other. Before, it was more like a compilation of songs that I made in the last two years, which was some of my best and some of my, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Different vibe joints. And now, like, I definitely pinpointed what I wanted the whole album to sound like in a whole, and I've captured that, and it's there. Flat Trap. And you have an ode to your grandfather on there. Yes, sir. How did that come about? Uh, well, last summer, he passed away, rest in peace. And I was out there uh, for the funeral, and, and basically, uh, I stayed with my grandmother for a month. Because I just felt like she needed somebody to, you know what I'm saying, lean on. And through that process, I finished, like, a lot of songs. Like, I made songs for him. Like, I was sitting in the garage, and the song that I made came to me through sitting in the garage, just thinking about him, you know? So everything just came naturally through the life ex life's experiences, you know? Did she teach you anything about cooking while you were with her? Nah, man. It's kind of... I, I don't know if she's going to hear this, but it made me sad to think that, like, love is actually a factor in cooking. It kind of felt like the food tasted different since he passed away. You, I mean, you hear that all the time. I don't think that's an odd statement. No, I, it's true. I think that it, it, it comes, again, it comes in that subtlety and nuance. And also, when you're cooking for people, especially if you're married for a long time, mm -hmm. you cook a certain way. You know mm -hmm. they like a little bit of this. So exactly. So if they're not there to cook for or to guide the hand exactly. or reach for that spice, exactly. it does change. That and my grandmother's diabetic now. So she's not using as much sugar and salt and all the things she used to use. So it's a little more like... Uh, cholesterol free you know what i'm saying what's gonna be amazing is you're gonna chase those flavors for the rest of your life i already know i already know well i want to thank you for coming by the show i want to make sure we have time for one more track where can people get the record how can people find you how can people see you live the record will be on all platforms itunes amazon google play uh title you name it it'll be there definitely checking out december 9th you might get it like a day early we, we try to figure out everything you know okay and uh, how can people find you, book you? Uh, you can find me on socials, Flyest in the Era, F-L-Y-E-S-T-I-N-T-H-E-E-E-R-A. I'm sorry it's so long. That was like my high school, like, mind making that Twitter account. Yeah, and you can't change it. I can, but the guy who has CJ Fly doesn't want to give it up. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, that can be fixed. Yeah, hopefully. You we'll figure gotta, it out. You just got to get bigger than him and become the authorized person. Of course. I'm going to highlight Twitter, see what they're saying. They can probably help. For sure. Uh, well, thanks for coming by. Thank uh, you. Big shout out to Darren as well out on the West Coast. Please make sure to vote for Snacky Tunes for Taste Awards. We would really appreciate it. Bit.do backslash stvote. What are you going to take us out with? Uh, I have this song called Diamonds that is like a record for the world. It's not just for the youth and my fans. Like I feel like your mom might hear it and like it. So definitely play it for her. <laughs> all right. Mom, this goes out to you. <laughs> shout out to all the mamas. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Snacky Tunes. No diamonds fall from pressure 
But don't be so hard on yourself uh, 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 No diamonds fall from pressure But don't be so hard on yourself Don't you worry about a thing Just keep shining Show them how bright you are Even if it blinds them If you like to dance Depending on the light And some people see you And they get so wicked Made this one for all the miners in a dark place where you might just find us Made it out and with a few survivors One of their wants and their desires What I learned it made me wiser Cause we've been tough Lose a lot as soon as we get cut You know where we came from, it was rough Hard differentiating what is love Feel no way if someone try to pick you up Brazilian even when they give you funny looks Got them by the wrist just like some cuffs Kill for you cause that's the shit that money does Don't let your dreams get crushed No diamonds fall from pressure But don't be so hard on yourself No diamonds fall from pressure but don't be so hard on yourself. No diamonds fall from pressure. But don't be so hard on yourself. No diamonds fall from pressure. But don't be so hard on yourself. You keep on shining. You keep on shining. You keep on shining. Cause you are a diamond. You keep on shining, you keep on shining, you keep on shining, cause you are a diamond. You keep on shining, you keep on shining, you keep on shining, cause you are a diamond. You keep on shining, you keep on shining, you keep on shining, cause you are a diamond, diamond. Fly Trap out December 9th, make sure you go get that. Thank you, Snacky Tunes, for having me. Flop! Ferrari. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food Radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.